This is the Bar Boy Play Podcast, the iHeart Duke Basketball Fan Podcast. I can't believe I'm saying this, but there is only one game left at home in Cameron Indoor Stadium for the greatest coach in the history of sports. And Jack, I am not talking about AC and his AAU <laughs> coaching. I'm talking about Coach Hubert Stang. Davis, the man whose job we need to save. Well, yeah, that, yeah. good point, Jack. Uh, Hubert Davis as well. But Jack, you were there. I was there as well. But Jack, you were there in Cameron. This is the first time all year that you were there this year. This was. This is my first time being in Cameron in like five years. Okay, there you go. And what was your initial reaction? So I actually I spent the afternoon before the game in Kayville with a few friends, and okay. it was just an electric environment. There was music blasting. It just it felt like a party all day. And then, of course, going back into the game, like I ran to Sheldon Williams walking over to uh, Cameron. Oh, Black. humble brag, humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my family was in for the game too, and uh, they saw Trey Jones. Um, it was it was a great it was a great day. And then you get into the arena, and it was the most electric it's been all season. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I was... Being there changes changes your feel of the environment, but I gotta say. Yeah, so like Coach K, um, if you guys watched the post-game press conference with Coach K, he even alluded to the fact that Cameron was different. Mm-hmm. You know, it was different against Florida State. And I've been lucky enough to be at, you know, a bunch of games this season in Cameron. That was the, I, I sat down in my seat, you know, about 15 minutes before the game, and you could tell. Like, Jack, you could tell it was different. It, this, this meant something to the Cameron Crazies, and there was – it was hot in there. You could feel the emotions. It was rocking. You could feel the seat shaking. It was unbelievable. And I'm, you, you knew with the, the former players being there as well. It was a, this was a huge. It was a huge game. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was just unbelievable. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Jack, is you brought up Sheldon Williams. That you know, apparently your best friend was nice. awesome. <laughs> um, and you brought, but you also brought up Trey Jones. And I wanted to ask you a question because something happened during that game. The announcer comes over the loudspeaker during some of the timeouts, and he goes up and says, we got a lot of former players in Cameron tonight. And he goes through the list. And there was, you know, a nice ovation for each one. Shelter Williams comes up, and it was a nice ovation. Now, Shelter Williams, the landlord, number in the rafters. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable, right? You know, the, he, the career that he had, we've talked about the landlord a, a, a multitude of times. The biggest reaction was for Trey Jones, I love Trey. You love Trey. AC, you love Trey. You mean it wasn't for Carmen Wallace? Carmen Wallace didn't get it the was big not for Carmen Wallace. Um, Carmen Wallace got a few cheers. Javin and Trey were the two biggest. But, and and that's why I wanted to ask you because you know I was talking to a few people there close to the program, and they all noted the fact that the generations kind of were like, okay, well this is different. If you were telling me that a guy that is in the Hall of Fame at Duke. Number retired. There's only a handful of numbers retired. It's not like UNC where every number is retired. <laughs> uh, that you know that would be the biggest you know cheer for the from the crowd. It was it was straight jokes. And so Jack, so I wanted to ask you, like, kind of bring me into the mindset. Like you're a little bit younger than me in AC, so I kind of want to hear from your perspective. Like when you know, obviously you're a historian of Duke, but you know when you're sitting in there like did that like register with you that like the biggest crowd cheer was for Trey Jones and not for a guy that's numbers in the Raptors yeah I mean I was I was amazed that there wasn't that much in the way of cheering for Danny Ferry 
Yeah, Matthew Hurt right, got right a, point. Right point. Matthew Hurt got an ice ovation, obviously after last season. He Oof. never got his due from the fans. Yep. That was that was well deserved. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Matt, Javin, and Trey had the three largest uh, crowd reactions, and I think that's pretty simple reasons because of all the players, those are the only those are the only three that have actually played in front of current Duke students. Yeah, they're no longer great in the point, program. Great point. Great point. Of everyone yeah. that was there. And I mean, it makes sense too, because it was just thinking about that. I mean, for us, if, you know, if Nick Groat walked into the grocery store, I'm not going to freak out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I honestly don't know if I can recognize Nick Groat in public. I like, if somebody <laughs> showed me a picture of him, obviously I know who it was, but in public, I don't know that I would see Nick Groat and be like, oh, that's the dude. Like, and, and just to give another example of that, up here in Northern Virginia, two years ago in South Lakes, they and this is prior to COVID, so COVID's not an excuse for attendance. They retired Grant Hill's jersey at South Lakes. Oh yeah. There was minimal, minimal advertisement about it, uh, minimal pomp and circumstance, maybe by his choice. I don't know if it was I don't know if he said he didn't want it or not. But when I tell you I rearranged my schedule to get over there, and when I saw that there were less fans there for like a usual South Lakes JV game. Than were for Grant Hill's retirement ceremony, I was like that. That hurt. Like that hurt my soul a little bit, man. AC, I, rem- AC, I remember you and I talking about that because I was going to go because I was in the area at the time and I was mm-hmm. going to go to that. And I, I have a scheduling conflict. But to your point, though, like that's Grant Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and for South Lakes, favorites. yeah, and, and for South Lakes, it's like there's nothing. There's nothing bigger than Grant Hill, but they don't know. Like those kids, they just don't understand. They don't know. Like, and that's. I think that's where it is now with like, I mean, you see Fairy's name up there in the rafters, but they, they don't, the impact their lives in any way. Right. Exactly. They may know him as potentially a front office guy in the NBA. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you, know, you know, honestly, uh, Jack, like, like the same with Elton Brand, maybe. I mean, I, I'm from Philly, so I got a little bit of bias on EB as a player and as a, as an executive but most, most people don't really think about that 99 team for obvious reasons. They don't, they don't have a banner. They should, yeah. but they don't. Um, so yeah, people really don't don't think about that team when they think about the all-time great nope. Duke players. Nope. Like, the Christian Leitner, Mullins teams, like Vic Bubas as a coach, like you right. know, he's, I, I, he's I so get, slept on. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get how older Duke fans are annoyed when they always they you always hear this from older Duke fans where they're like, there was basketball before K at Duke, and there was, there truly was, and that we Duke had a good program prior to Coach K, but oh, for sure he took it to a different level and you can't deny that, but I absolutely get the frustration when the people that were important to you don't get their due. You know who was there last night? Randy Denton. Yeah. All-time leader in rebounds per game Mm -hmm. for Duke. Got Mm -hmm. like no applause outside of a few people. Ricky Price is out with a fangirl. Dude, oh oh my God. Yeah, okay, AC. AC, I'm glad you said that because when they said Ricky Price, I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) <laughs> I literally said, I, I think verbatim is exactly what I said. I said oh, shit, Ricky Price is here. By the time I said that and finished that statement, they were already on the next guy. <laughs> I was like, whoa, let's give Ricky Price, man. I love Ricky Price. Right, right. I love that dude, man. Like, that dude is one of my favorite players of all time. He was a dog in high school. Like, but yeah, nah, seriously, though, like, it's, it, it is what it is. And it's just going <laughs> right. to, like, the farther we get away from it, it's just, that's going to continue to happen. Like, you know, right, if, if Shane Badier stepped back on campus right now, he'd get an ovation, I'm sure, but I don't know that he would get, I, I don't know he would get the recognition that we feel like Shane Badier deserves. You know what I mean? Same with Jason Williams. You know, the, the only people. thing that I would say about that with Shane is potentially that everybody knew this year who's a daddy Badier. 
So right. I feel like that that would be the only reason that he would get. Yeah, yeah, he'd, he'd probably get yeah. a cheer or something, but yeah, like. But but I mean, I mean Jack. I mean, people, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Anyway, most people my age remember him from saving the uh, the Heat's championship aspirations mm-hmm. a couple times, mm-hmm. which he which he did, by the way. Um, okay, all right, so we, we can talk about that all day. Okay, so we got a lot of recap video, and I gotta say, I'm gonna say this real quick that we hold myself especially the players to a different standard. Where you know I'm asking Wendell to step up and be who he was before COVID and mm-hmm. you know before the break, whatever. Can the three of us, by the way, admit that we got to ha- hold ourselves to a higher standard because we now have to cover UVA, Clemson, Boston College, Wake Forest, and Florida State because we can't get our schedules together. <laughs> we just don't say- make it easy on ourselves, man. We just like you know we like to we like to do things a little more. So why are we going to hold them to a certain standard? <laughs> we can't hold ourselves to. Okay, all right, so. Let's start with the, the bad, okay? Let's start with the UVA game. I got AC. I got a lot to say about it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I want you to kind of talk about the last five games since we've been on the air and just kind of sum it up in your way how Duke has looked and, you know, did you see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel after last night after the last five games? Uh, yes to that last question, and we looked bored. Bored is the key word since the U. It's, honestly, since before the UVA game, if, if we're really being truthful about ourselves, but bored. Like they have looked. This team has looked like they are. They are ready for the ready for tournament play. That's kind of that's the best way to put it because I don't think that this team is like I, I don't look at these guys as like they're looking at their NBA stock like I can't wait to get out of this college. I don't look at them like that. You have too many upperclassmen keeping them keeping them accountable. You have too much on the line with Coach K, you know, with this, this being his last season and everything. And, and I think that does play into it, honestly. Truly, I think that plays into it. You saw you saw what they did at UNC and all the quotes after about how they wanted to do it for K and everything. And I think since that UNC game, they have just – that was a big monkey off their back. They were playing all their games towards that game. They played that game. It was like a big relief because they went into Chapel Hill and destroyed them. And it was almost like foot off the gas – we can relax for a second and, and how like I can't be mad at them for that because the weight that this group is carrying on their shoulders for Duke fandom is it's completely unprecedented. There is nothing in there. The only thing you can even equate it to is the team that, that was John Wooden's last team essentially. And they didn't even know he was retiring with that squad. So it's the, the weight that this team is carrying is, is outlandish. So I don't look at it as, these guys don't want to play or it's mental freshman mental lapses where they, they can't keep up with these other teams or whatever else. I, I truly honestly think they've been bored. So Jack, you uh, mentioned on our group text that you, you know, talked about, you know, Coach K, you know, he was not part of the second half of the weight game and that could be a potential, you know, and obviously it, it makes sense that that would be a thing that would weigh on the team and, something you have to adjust to. Uh, I remember exactly what I said to that. I think it's an excuse. But I want you to kind of elaborate on what you're thinking there with, okay, Coach Hay wasn't there, and kind of the wait for a second half collapse. You know, what you're thinking is uh, for the team there. So obviously the players are going to be distracted by the fact that Coach K is not out there. Uh, that's that's going to be a pretty pretty big thing in their head, and that, that could kind of take them off the game a little bit. But also – you know, coaching is really important in college basketball and Shire did not come into that game thinking I'm going to be the head coach for the second half. So he's kind of thrown into this, not that he doesn't have the experience, 
but he's he's not prepared necessarily to be the head coach for the, against this Wake Forest team. That that's going to have a an impact, and I think between those two things, did look a little complacent multiple times in that second half. You're going to get mm-hmm. that result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything? I think yeah, complacent is one way to look at it, and I think that's correct. Um, but the other way I look at it is that there are glaring weaknesses with this new team that we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, and I saw them against UBA. I saw them in the second half, basically really the last 10 minutes against Wake Forest, where we have these lapses where is it complacency um, that, you know, like one play in particular kind of rings out to me against Wake Forest where shot goes off and Wendell is there and he tries to do some ridiculous, try to tip it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fucking grab the rebound. Yep. Just grab the rebound. And I think even the commentators even made a, a note of that. And I'm yeah. not talking about your boy, Debbie Antonelli. I'm not going to start <laughs> on that one. But, you know, th- th- those are the kind of things where, you know, I'm looking at that and saying, just grab the rebound. Because... Well, I mean, they were, they were laughing. Duke was laughing. Right, exactly right. And Wake still had the game face, like Wake still had their game faces on, like they were still focused. You could tell. And it was like, you were watching that. And I'm like, I don't like this direction. This is Wake was locked in. They were locked in. Exactly. And I want to bring this to this point that coach K, I thought did a phenomenal job of really summarizing this up. When you look at the UVA, the Clemson game, the Boston college game, the way forest game, you know, I'm going to leave the Florida State game out that we just won because it was a little bit different. But those four games in particular, Coach K made a phenomenal statement saying, we have to be hungry after we already ate. Mm-hmm. We weren't hungry enough. We didn't match their hunger. Because these teams that we're talking about, those four teams I just talked about, not with, you know, not Boston College, but they're hungry and they're playing for something. Mm-hmm. That we already achieved, like we're you know we're in the NCAA tournament, of course. Mm-hmm. So like they're playing for something there, and we got to match that every single time we go on the court. Plus the fact, historically, as it's been for the last forty two years, we're the Super Bowl of every one of these teams, including UNC. So AC, one of my concerns is, and I saw this in this game. We're get, we're going to get to the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into that, but. In those four games specifically, did you see a team in Duke that matched the intensity that was required for 40 minutes in any of those four games? No, not at all. Not at all. That was not that that team. That team was not the team that I think will go into the tournament. That team was not the team that we've seen to start the season. And it's really funny, actually, prior to the UVA game, even they they put up the video, Duke, Duke Blue Planet and, and Duke Men's Basketball, the, the Twitter and Instagram and everything else, the entity that they are, they put up the video from Coach K in practice talking about when you have momentum, don't stop. And, then, you know, it was, it was a big production highlight package video for, you know, a one-minute long video that they put up. And it was like, is this a message to the team? Or is this like, it, I mean, if it was, it felt like a fan piece where it's like, oh, yeah, don't stop. We're, you know, we're all in. I mean, I wanted to run through a brick wall watching it. But, it, you know, second glance at it, I was like, they send messages sometimes to the players oh, yeah. through these videos. Oh, this isn't the first time. This isn't the first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, you know, we pick, you know, sometimes we pick up on it. Sometimes we don't. But I was like, this is, hmm. And then, and then of course, we go out against UVA and lay that egg. So 
it, yeah, and yeah, the, those those four games, those four games don't worry me in the fact that I think that we're just gonna just roll over to teams, especially when when it's time to come to the tournament. But I do, it does worry me from the maturity standpoint of when we do play, you know, East North Dakota State in the first round of the tournament, and then have to follow it up with like. I don't know, you know, who knows, Texas Tech, somebody else, somebody else who's, you know, lower rank who we'll, we'll see in the second round, the second or third round of the tournament, are we going to take them as seriously as a Gonzaga? Because when we play Gonzaga, we play hard. When we play Kentucky, right. we play hard. Mm-hmm. But when we play these other schools, are we going to play hard? Is the moment going to be too big for these guys? That's that's the one thing they have not proven yet, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and Jack, the thing I said to follow up on that is that this team's not good enough, in my opinion, to flip the switch and decide, okay, we're not going to put our foot on the gas or step on these throats or anything like that. This team's not good enough to do that yet, or potentially ever this year, that this team's just not good enough to be able to do that. And so when I watched that BC game, when I watched the Clemson game before Wendell got hurt, before I watched, you know, the Wake Forest game, and then once all of a sudden they started letting them back in, I saw a team that said, okay, well, we can just coast now. This team's not good enough for that. Do you disagree with that? I don't think there's a team ever that's too good for that. You don't ever coast. Yeah, okay, you can you can kind of play a little slower, drain the clock, try to take the air out of the ball, but you don't just chuck up a shot so you don't get a 30-second violation and then not play defense on the other end because that's how teams get back into games. Mm-hmm. It's, that's like basketball 101. You don't just put up a shot to put up a shot and you have to play defense regardless. So I want to also bring up one thing before we move to our next segment. Um, and I'm going to feel this to you AC first, but in the second half of that game, I thought that was one of Jeremy's better games against Wayne Forrest. So oh, to, be, to, be, to be clear uh, against Wayne Forrest in the second half, when Wayne is starting to cut into the lead, I thought Jeremy had played fantastic in that entire game. Mm-hmm. I think he only finished with about 18, 19 minutes in that game. And he sat for the last eight minutes of that game. Mm-hmm. When we were struggling, when we couldn't get any flow offensively, when we couldn't get any of the rhythm and we needed a ball hammer, I thought, and I saw, by the way, I saw a lot of this on the message boards where, you know, people are now calling for Shire's head. Is he really the guy? Maybe Amica <laughs> would have been better. All that kind of stuff that you saw yeah. in, the, in, in, in the media. Well, I did actually agree in one perspective that, yeah, I think if John would look it over again, he should have put Jeremy in because there was multiple times in that game when Wake is making the run. I don't care about the timeouts and that kind of shit that there would bother me. It was more I would put in Jeremy to settle the team down, and I think that's what they needed. And I, I still, you know, ad nauseum, I'd like to see one true point guard. And I know AC, you don't like the true point guard thing, but mm-hmm. I think for one ball handler, that would be what I would do. But Kind of kicking it back to you, AC, about the Shire decision not to put Jeremy in. What was your thought process there? Well, one, the first thing I was like was like, foreseeably, you know, unless unless things change, Jeremy's gonna be back at Duke next year for John. And how is that not the perfect time for John to to kind of Show be in, in lockstep with his his future point guard? You know what I mean, like. So, you know, that, that already threw some questions into my head where I had to start reaching out to people like, hey, what's going on with next year with Jeremy, with Jay? And they're like, you know, people were like, nah, nah, I don't know, nothing, nothing right now, nothing. So, you know, there's nothing nothing to report there. But 
that was the first thing I thought. I thought that was odd. And then second, it was what you said. And I think it was the last podcast where I have finally conceded that this team, this team in particular, the way they're playing and who they are at the moment, they need roles. And one of those roles is true point guard. I mean, obviously we're going down a different path right now. I think the lineup we have right now is the lineup we're going to move forward with, with Trevor as a point guard. Trevor played well last night against Florida state. I, I, I don't think that, you know, obviously a team full of walk-ons, you can only take so much out of what Florida state was doing, but they still had the one players on the floor at the time. So whatever. But I, I do think that Trevor is, he, I think he is our point guard going forward and Jeremy's going to be the one that spells him off the bench. But if, if we just we just we need somebody who is going to organize the team and that way force was that way force game was truly a show of they had no organization essentially playing on their own because that's kind of what they were doing they're kind of playing on their own hey I, I don't i don't know i can't speak to how much coaching john was doing in the huddle but they they really looked like a team playing on their own yeah i don't want to say x's and o's or anything like that from john because i think he's the best in the business when it comes to that i think that if he Watches the tape, and I'm sure Coach K is talking to him about it. That you know, that would have been a perfect time to in something kind of it's more of a feel thing, mm-hmm. you know. If, if you're a coach, uh, AC, you know that, like, mm-hmm. as a coach, it's like, okay, oh, my team might need a little bit something different here, mm-hmm. and so I understand, like, who would I take out that kind of deal, but you kind of know, you got to know what kind of buttons to push, and that's something John's gonna have to learn. And I hope that our fans, by the way, relax and realize that he'll figure it out. I'm not even worried about that. Yeah, uh, I do want to touch on Jack the Florida State game for a minute because we were both there. I thought the camera crowd was unbelievable. They were, it, you know, the second you walked in there, we talked about the fact that it was a real camera experience. I thought Duke, you know, Florida State was obviously, you know, had multiple men down, you know, and I thought that Florida State, as Leonard Hamilton teams go, they played very hard. And they, they held their own as long as they could, but then Duke kind of exerted itself, especially in the last two minutes of that first half. Talk about real quick, Jack, what it was like to be in Cameron for those last two minutes of the first half, especially with that AJ though. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys can hear my voice is a little little off today. <laughs> Most of it is from Joey Baker hitting threes and that, that pass yeah, yeah, yeah. into the dunk. Joey three piece. Yeah, the buck is <laughs> All I'm saying is that it was it was 20 to 16 at one point in favor of Florida State. Yep. When Joey came in, Florida State was up one. When Joey came out, Florida State was down 11. Oh, it was why. that was that last two minutes. Yep. It was absolutely electric. The the roof was ready to blow off that place, and yep. wow is all I can really <laughs> say. It was just an incredible. Oh, I'm right now. Jack, Jack, you were at shooters last night. You, you, I was at shooters. We're, we're going we're to give you a pass on this one. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was... that's, real quick, that's something okay, I, actually put on, I just I put it on Twitter real quick, too. I was like, that's what makes this team so frustrating is that you see that three minutes and you see what this team is capable oh, of. My God, we, are yeah. cap- we are capable of elite. Like, we are. We are capable of elite. But then you have things like the Wake Forest collapse, the UVA game, the Ohio State game, and it's like, ugh. And that, that's why... I get it, and I, I try to fight and defend for this team and everything, but I do get why fans are so frustrated because you can see the potential for what this team actually could be. Yeah, I was, okay. I was getting to that. I was getting to that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you guys both get to that because I want to switch to my next segment here, and I have it written down. The good, the bad, the ugly. And I think this is a perfect transition for it because 
AC, you talked about it. We got to be really honest about ourselves mm-hmm. with what this team is obviously capable of, which you said, like that three minute stretch is the, you know, the last two minutes of the Florida State game of the first half. And, you know, when the weight game, when, you know, yeah, you're up 19, that great stretch, awesome. But then you have that bad stretch, mm-hmm. and then it's the comeback of course, where you got to recharge yourself and refocus yourself and the power block against Wake Forest, awesome. And then you have the game, you know, against Clemson, where I don't want to say that it took Wendell getting hurt to, you know, energize that team, but there, what I'm trying to always say, and I've, I've said this on uh, our Instagram and, and AC, I know that you have on Twitter, but we need to play like Duke for 40 minutes. This team's not good enough, as I said earlier, to, to host. Jackson said mm-hmm. the same thing. So the good, the bad, the ugly. I want to start with the ugly, uh, AC. And, you know, we've talked about this before on podcasts where it is obviously the boneheaded turnovers. That's mm-hmm. ugly. But what I really want to focus on is these stretches, the three and a half, the four-minute stretches where we can't score. Mm-hmm. That's the ugly part to me where you brought up East North Dakota State. But if we play a second round game against a Texas Tech, we could get bounced. Yeah. And we could we could get bounced in the first round. Look at UVA. Look at UVA with UNBC. So yeah, I mean the ugly that's that you know, I look at that ugly as some things that I hope can either A can be cleared up or B already will be cleared up just based on game pressure and everything else. I don't. I don't look at these things as like devastating prospects to you know us being able to advance to the tournament. But there are things that can absolutely hurt us or kill us in the tournament. We've seen it in the past, and those stretches are one of those things. You look all. You keep going back, like the Arizona game where Kyrie came back. There were long stretches we couldn't score in that game. The the Michigan State game in 05, There were long stretches we couldn't score in that game. We had control of that game early. The LSU game uh, that that you know JJ's last game, whatever. Another, yet another one where we just had long long lapses of scoring and on top of not being able to score we couldn't defend for whatever reason so those those are the things you have to avoid in the tournament and they're almost unavoidable in a way if that makes sense like you're gonna have those stretches like it's going to happen how do we respond I guess since we've seen it multiple times this year the guys will be ready to respond but we talked about last year when during COVID bring your own energy you have to bring your own energy like that is especially in the tournament that is a given we're going to be playing in places where people want, they want, they are going to actively want to see Coach K lose his last game. Like nobody is going to be rooting for Coach K to make it to the final four. Nobody, except for Duke fans. I want to go down to the X's and O's on this because okay. when you're talking about lapses on offense of three, four minutes, whatever, it's unacceptable yep. when you have a potential two, sorry, two potential top five picks. You know, it used to be just, you know, how do we get the ball at Apollo? Now it's, okay, we also have AJ Griffin. So, like, what do we do here in terms of rectifying that situation where we do have, you know, maybe a couple of possessions in a row where we can't get buckets? How do we say, okay, screw that. We're just going to figure this out, and we're going to go to our best players. One of the things I'm going to bring up during the bad, because I look at it as, as a bad thing that we, we absolutely have to fix if we want to advance in the tournament. But the other thing that I look at is defensively, I hate that we are playing the overplay. I hate it. I hate that we're face guarding at half court. I know that's what Kay went back to with this particular squad. We hadn't done it in years because those teams couldn't handle it. This team does not generate enough turnovers 
to justify playing the overplay. And I would, I would love it. I hope that that's like the one change that happens going into like the ACC tournament for the squad that we, that we ditch the overplay because I think that's going to lead to some bad things for this team. Yeah, Jack, I'll switch it over to you. In terms of what AC just said there, is there anything that you would add or like to see that Duke is currently not doing when they do go into these cold spells? Honestly, it's just it's it's gambling in the passing lane, like AC said, and uh, it hurts. And Duke Duke's a transition team. Obviously, we've seen a lot of the last few games. It's a big momentum. It's a big momentum thing too, and they when they go cold defensively, it leads to them going cold offensively. That's that's really it. Yeah, and, and so, again, AC covered most of it. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I, I agree with what AC said there. And so the second part of my ugly was going to be everybody catching their breath here is Paulo Bancaro. Uh, you know where I was sitting yesterday was underneath the deep basket, second half, right across from the deep bench. I saw multiple plays there where I just, again, clutch your pearls. I thought that Paul was soft. And I texted you both during the game. I thought he was soft. They, they were like flailing and looking for fouls. Just put it in. And one of the things with Paul is we've seen this in Gonzaga. We've seen it against Kentucky. We've seen it in multiple points during the year. He can be the best player in the country. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't earned first team. He hasn't earned second team. He hasn't really earned first team all ACC, really. Like, he'll get it because the stats are there. But the guy that he can be AC, I don't see it right now. I'm worried that I don't know, and I can't, I can, I can speculate of the reasons for it, but I don't see a guy that, that is as hungry as I need him to be. I'll, I'll look at it this way, and this is the only way I can look at it because there's no point in breaking down Paulo in terms of X's and O's correct, or, correct. or trying to digest what he is and who he is. We know who he is, and he's amazing. He's a generational-type talent. The one thing I will say is, and maybe I'm making an excuse for him or whatever else, I don't care. We've seen what he can do, and there's something that tells me when the tournament happens and the tournament comes on, he will do what's necessary. He's a team player. He's not one of those guys who's seeking NBA fame. And if he is actually seeking NBA fame, him shooting, continuing to shoot 29% from three, that's not going to help him get that number one pick that he wants. So what's going to help him is, is being the MOP of the final four and the NCAA tournament this year and leading coach K to his final, final championship. Like he does that by getting himself to the interior, making the interior, making those plays that we know he can make then that's what's going to get him the number one pick. Nothing else is going to do that at this point. So I, I think hopefully he realizes that. I think the coaches realize that. I think the people who are in his ear realize that. And I think I think we will see a better Apollo when the tournament comes on. I think we just have to, like you said, clutch our pearls and just hold on tight for right now. And so we talked about the ugly. Let's talk about the bad. So it's the same bad, Jack, that we've talked about forever. I think one of the bad things that we've done – has run off the offensive rebounds. I think we've kind of cured that a little bit, knock on wood. But let's talk about the bad turnovers. The unexplicable turnovers, the dumb plays where, you know, I talked about the Wendell against Wake Forest, like just grab the rebound instead of trying to do this unbelievable tip in. And I always pick on Wendell, but he's going to get to the good. So I want to talk about the bad first, though. Um, do you see us? in any way being able to cure 
the dumbass turnovers that we have. Or, or, or I mean, let's be honest, though, is, or is it one of those things where we just, we just kind of live with it? I think it's terrible. I think a lot of the, like, I remember last, last night, um, Griffin standing on the sideline while he was in the corner, written ready to shoot a three. Jeremy doing a jab step being called for a walk because he lifted his pivot foot to drive before the ball hit the ground. Things like that. Those are just stupid things that are really easy fixes. And that's what I think we've seen a little bit more of lately. A couple bad passes here and there, but honestly, those are, those are going to happen a few a game and that they've been cut down on a reasonable amount. I think it's more than anything, just the, the dead ball turnovers, things that, that result in an out of bounds, um, instead of a live ball turnover that are going to need to be cut back on more so because you're giving the team not necessarily transition opportunity like you wouldn't a live ball turnover, but you're giving them a full 30-second possession that they're going to have like time to set up for, potential subs. And I think that's a bigger issue than transition because Duke has shown that they're very good in transition on both ends. Yeah, AC, I think that's right. And, you know, kind of talking about that, it's like in tennis, it's the unforced errors. That – I think kills Duke in so many different ways because we have all these unforced errors. And then a short two turns into a basket for the uh, opposition, and that's a three or four, four or five point swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a team playing unfocused, a team playing bored, whatever adjective you want to use. That those turnovers are the result of that. It's not. It's not that AJ Griffin doesn't know where to stand on the basketball court. It's not that Jeremy doesn't know how to use his pivot foot. You know what I mean? Like those are not those those so those are those are curable things. Hopefully, game pressure, hopefully the the focus that's going to be required for the tournament is one of those things that helps galvanize this team when it comes to those types of turnovers. We play a team who's playing defense and knows how to stop us. You know, so be it. We turn the ball over in that situation, we turn it over. That's kind of one of those game turnovers that happen. But one of the things that I think kind of lead to those turnovers and the style of ball we play on the offensive side, we don't have right now proven. We don't have anybody who has proven that they can consistently drive to the basket. And that scares me. That truly scares me because when it comes to the tournament, now you become a team that when these coaches use these extreme, you know, defensive principles or extreme, you know, extreme tactics to, to try to win one game that's worrisome to me. It's, it's, it's the putting taco back in the middle of the lane and just letting Trey Jones shoot threes. It's things like that. We're going to see stuff like that. We're going to see off the wall, unorthodox things that don't show up in the scout. And you have to be a team that can get to the basket and get fouls or get tough twos to build momentum, to build that energy, because we can shoot all threes all day. We want the, the easiest and quickest way to build a lead and build momentum and, and crush the other team's hopes is to start making tough twos at the basket. And so far this year, outside of Mark Williams, tell me who's proven that we can do that. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, uh, AC, I want to keep it with you because I, I, I was going to move into the good, but I do want to bring one thing up is that I'm a little bit worried about Jeremy Roach because I thought that he kind of turned the order. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about obviously how well he played before, you know, when, before Kills came back mm-hmm. and that's the kind of three-game stretch. Have a little bit of uh, you know dip, and then it came back and played well. I don't does the coaching staff trust Jeremy Roach, and I hope that they do because I think he's he's a guy that you want to instill confidence in because you want to need him. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you don't trust him, send him out. Like that's how I feel about it. Like if yeah. they don't trust him, they should be sitting him. They're not sitting him. He's still playing minutes. They sat him at the end of the week, but I think that was that was something different. I don't think that's 
indicative of what we're normally going to see these last, you know, 10 or 12 games that we have left, presuming we go all the way to the championship game. But he, I mean, Jeremy is one of the few people who could make the lane and make something happen from the interior, whether it was a lob to Mark or a kick out to a shooter or whatever else. And that hasn't happened. Not, I'm not correlating this to Trevor. So let's not put it, I'll put it this way. It hasn't happened since the Notre Dame game. And, and that's, that bothers me as well, because again, it speaks right back to, we don't have anyone who is consistently making the interior. And that's a problem to me. You have to be able to make the interior, whether it's via pass or drive. And we have not shown that we can do that yet. And that is what worries me the most with this team. So let's switch it over to the good. We're all not negative here. Um, I want to be honest with you. I think over the last few games, I think Wendell's picked it back up. I'm not going to say he's pre-COVID Wendell where he was an All-American type of player. But, Jack, I feel like Wendell is starting to kind of get that groove again. Do you agree? Why won't you say he's he's doing that? He's literally put up between 14 and 16, five or six rebounds, and with the exception of one game, at least five assists over yeah, his I mean, last few. Like, no, he's, he's, played, he's played very well. Honestly. All-American level, though. He was yeah, he's not going to put up level. the 21, the 20 he put up against Gonzaga or Lafayette or the Citadel, but he's putting up very similar numbers to before the COVID pause. Like he's, he's putting up about like 15.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds or 5.3 rebounds and quick math, about 4.3 assists per game. The last three, that's pretty close to his all American pre COVID uh, pause numbers. You know, he had six steals it- last night. Yeah, no, I thought, no, last night aside, because I, I thought he was awesome last night. And I think that that's what kind of my point is. And when I, when I talk about the good, is that Wendell's starting to ascend to that level again. Because when he was playing, like you said, the Kentucky, the Gonzagas, the pre COVID stuff, people were talking about him as a potential in the race for a national player mm-hmm. of the year. Something he's not there anymore, you see, but like. You know, I feel like he started, Jack, go ahead, I'll let you finish, because Jack, I I feel like he's starting to kind of get back to that level a little bit. If you take, if you take out, like, a few games, you take out, like, what is it, those four, those first four games after the uh, team came back from that pause, he's, he's putting up, like, 16 a game, he's putting up five and a half rebounds, he's putting up six assists, he's averaging multiple steals, with those those two games dragging his stats down because the guy was really sick and taking a while to recover, I think he's he's back to the player he was, like if not a hundred percent, then close to it. I I don't think he's gonna get a national player of the year finalist even, but he's not gonna be a first team All American. But he's back to putting up the numbers that had him in consideration for that. That's how I feel. AC, yeah, I agree, and I think I think the I, I'll I'll leave it at. Yes, I think I think he is playing. He is absolutely playing at a level that matches what he started the season with. I, I think the you know, whatever with the, the accolades, the national player of the year talk, and all that. I think that's more of a function of people overreacting to what he was doing versus what he was actually doing. Because, like Jack's saying, the stats are pretty much the same throughout his entire season. Every game, minus a couple of games here or there, where he has a bunch of boatload of turnovers or he's shooting under you know thirty percent from the floor or whatever else, but. Outside of that, he's playing. He has played well, and I think he's settled into a role now as being off ball and being someone who can get us a bucket when the offense breaks down after you know two or three attempts to get it to our first and second options. Like we talked about, 
he is now reverting himself into that third, fourth option role, and I think he is thriving in it now. So the last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of the good is they always talk about all the national champions that have been in the last 10 years or so have always been in the top whatever of the Ken Palm rankings, whether it's top 10, top 20. Duke is there, mm-hmm. Jack. Uh, Jack's there. Uh, we're there in offense and defense. And we just clean up a couple things, Jack. I feel like we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I've never felt that Duke isn't isn't a contender. I'm not going to lie. Duke, Duke's been a contender for the national championship all year. They are going to continue to be one of the favorites to win it all. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. That stat, I'm, I'm going to sound like the, the biggest buzzkill in the world here. That stat is super <laughs> cherry-picked. I agree. I agree. Because I, don't if you look, I don't love a Jack. If you look at the end of, this, end of the like, conference tournament, pre and like pre-selection Sunday stats and there are multiple teams including 2015 Duke that are not in those top it's I think it's top 10 they're not in that top 10 for like offense or defensive um estimated margin but the tournament puts them there because they they have such a great run that being said Duke being there now certainly helps their cause it does and it it speaks to a couple of things that that have been happening number one We've we've cleaned up the rebounding issues, right? Like that is we have since we've talked at nauseum about rebounding, yeah, we've sure, rebounded sure. every team we yep. played, including UNC. We are elite when it comes to three point percentage defense. That is a big deal because in the tournament, that is something that you can take with you no matter what gym you're going into. I hate that cliche and using it. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Like you you in the tournament, you want to be able to do a couple of things. You want to be able to rebound the ball. You want to be able to stop teams from shooting the three, and you want to make them inefficient from the two. You can do those things. You're good. And the, especially the last few stretches of games, as poorly as we played, for the most part, we have done that. Actually, against Florida State, Florida State has had the best uh, the best field goal percentage against us, and that was just because of their, their insane first half that Florida State had. Outside of that, every other team we played has actually been pretty piss poor when it comes to their, their shooting percentages and their efficiency. So I, I do like where we stand there. I, I, I could not agree more, and I want to do rapid fire here because, Jack, I know that you want to do a couple of player comparisons as we were talking about Paolo specifically. You know, obviously Paolo's had a little bit of a dip from, you know, after the Gonzaga game, everybody was pretty much in agreement where this is the best player in the country, what we knew he was going to be. But in terms of player comparisons for Paolo in relation to Duke, though, where does he stand historically with any player? Could you name a player historically that he would match up with? Well, I'm going to give you two different guys' statistics. This uh, For the 2021-22 player, this is through last week, just because that is when I was able to curate the stats. So it's from before the Florida State game. Well, obviously, Jack, I, obviously yeah. Jack, you know, you read those stats, but Jack was en route from Pennsylvania – <laughs> going to Cameron Indoor Stadium, and I can't blame him. He had a lot on. He had a lot on his plate there. He's meeting with Sheldon Williams. You know, he's doing all of these things. You know, he's re- meeting with the Cameron Crazies in Shashashiville. <laughs> he's doing these things. This is the people that understand that when they listen to this podcast, we have people on the ground, and that's what Jack does. He goes into the ground. He goes into the tents. He speaks with the people. He speaks with the people of Cameron Crazies. He knows what they're doing. Uh, Jack, what do we got? So I'm going to give you two players. Player A 
averaged 16.2 points per game, shooting 51% from the field, nine and a half rebounds, 2.2 assists, 2.7 turnovers, one block and one and a half steals. Player B, 17 points on 47.7% field goal percentage, 8.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists, two and a half turnovers, 0.9 blocks and one steal per game. Do you go with player A or player B? AC. Uh, I like player A because of the rebounding. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with A as well. That's very understandable. That player A was Christian Leitner's oh! season. <laughs> no, sophomore season. By the way, by the way I did not know this, and AC, I don't think you knew this either, right? About Leitner's stats? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I like, like, he he like I had that no is, idea. I know yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't know going in. Player B was Paulo. Woo! Wow. Very similar numbers, though, right? Yeah. Wow. Like, I would have said Mark Allery for player player A, honestly. Okay. Based uh, on those rebounding numbers and such. Okay, fair enough. Uh, any other player comparison? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I have a couple. Um, oh, God, here we go. This is like a pop, pop quiz, AC. Pop quiz. <laughs> All right, so we got two players. Player A, 12.1 points per game, shooting 40% from the field. 3.8 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.1 turnovers, and 1.6 steals. Player B, 12.3 points per game on 44.8% from the field. 2.3 rebounds per game, 3.6 assists, 2.2 turnovers, and 1.7 steals. Who's your uh, pick? I'm going A again, AC. Uh, give me the two turnover numbers again. Player A had 1.1 turnovers. Player B had 2.2. That's why I go A. That's my, yeah, A is my deciding factor on the turnovers. So player A is Trevor Keels. Right. Oh, player B is National Defensive Player of the Year 19 of 1987, Tommy Amaker. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, what's next? Sorry, Tommy. Next. Bad week for you. Next. Okay, next we got... I don't know well, how many you have. I, I, honestly, Jack, I don't, how many do you have these? <laughs> I'll I do this all game. I have a few. We could do this all game. I'll do one more. I'll do all one right. more. One more. Here we go. All right. Player A. 12.6 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 2 turnovers, 1.3 steals. Player B, 12.6 points per game as well, 4.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 1 turnover, and 0.4 steals. Who do you take? I'm taking B. AC? Uh, what was the steal number for player A? 1.3. Yeah, give me player A. I'm a, but before you say that, Jeff, I'm always taking the last turnovers. Uh, fair point. Yeah, yeah. So, AC, you chose A, and TK, you chose B? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, player A was 2002 Mike Dunleavy. Ooh. Who did I choose? 2002 Dunleavy. Who did I choose? Who did I choose? Player B is conference play AJ Griffin this year. Ooh. Ooh, Ooh. conference AJ. Okay. That's, okay. And that's okay. Hey, AC, you know I love Dunleavy. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, oh. that's not a bad comparison either. By the way, that's wait, that way, Jack, you're saying junior year Dunleavy versus freshman year AJ? I am. Oh my AJ's goodness. got I better thought, shooting splits too. I would have told you that junior year Dunleavy scored like 17 a game. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh are you sure, God. Jack? Are you sure about these guys? 100 percent I grabbed <laughs> oh them from Duke. God. I don't wow. know. Okay, all right. So uh, well, that being was, said, it's it's. I've been saying sure since the beginning. Of the year, I don't think that's right. I I'll grab the. I'll grab the numbers again. I'll grab AC, the numbers I, again. I don't think that's right. I. I, I mean, it could be. <laughs> like, I just. No I would. I would have told you that Dunleavy scored more than that, man. Like, but but the comparison stands up. I mean, those two 
I think those two do favorably compare to each other with, wow. with their role and everything else. Wow. I mean, I'll look, I love BJ Blade, but probably, but. Oh, son of a bitch. It was 2001 Don't Leave There we go. There we go. 2001 Don't Leave All right. That makes sense to me. Oh, I, I wrote yeah. the wrong year in my notes. I'm so uh, sorry. Jack, that you know, makes Jack, sense to me. I'll take a moment now. Jack was, uh, you know, at Shooters. He was three hours of sleep here. So, okay. Okay. Gonna... Okay. No, this one's on me. I did this last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about my this? bad, guys. How about, how about this, though, Jack? We, we're going to keep it with you for the next segment. This week in Duke history, I hope you have this, guys. Oh, I have all these stats right oh, here. On my right, baby. All right, so today's February 20th. We're going this this full week, 20th through the 27th. February 20th. I'm going to take you back, but not that far. Let's go back to last year, February 20th, 2021. Unranked Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Number seven, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Every it. time Duke, I just want to make a quick side note. Every time Duke and UVA play in Cameron and one team's unranked and one team is seven, the unranked team wins by one point. That's happened three straight times. <laughs> That's wild. Crazy, because well, Duke was the winner in two of those games. But That's wild. Matthew Hurt had 22 points. He played all but two minutes in that game. He had four rebounds. He shot five for eight from three. Great game from him. Wendell Moore, seven assists. Jeremy Roach had 12 points. He had three assists. Jamin Brakefield had 11 points. <laughs> he had four blocks. I love and miss him oh, so well, much. Oh, uh, me too, man. You knew that was my guy. You remember that? You guys remember that photo of him that came out of that game? Great photo. That photo is just, I don't care if he left the program. That I don't care if there was no fans in this game. Like, that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to mention, I got I got to shout out Jay Gold. He had four steals and four assists. Yeah. One year ago today. <laughs> That's not, but, uh, Probably four minutes later, too. AC, by the way. <laughs> he only took four <laughs> shots. He made two of them. Uh, oh, Jesus. I, I, I want to I clarify. My uh was not about Jay Gold. It was <laughs> the fact that Duke fans think that he's better than Jeremy Rush. Continue, Jack. <laughs> Continue, Jack. Continue, I love Jay Gold. Jay Gold is not better than Jack. Me, too. I, I, Continue, Jack. All right. So February 21st, somehow not an eventful day in Duke history. So I'm going to take you to February 22nd. Let's go back to 1998. Cameron Indoor Stadium, number two Duke, number 12 used Trajan Langdon and Rashawn McLeod combined for 55 points. Duke wins 120 to 84. Back when Against to... the number 12 team in the country. Yeah, and that was UCLA, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that was one of my favorite games to watch, man. That's uh, AC, do you remember that game where – that to me, it kind of felt like Duke was back coming in. Yep, yep. it was, you know and and I miss. I do. I, I remember that absolutely, and I and yeah. I really miss. Yeah. I miss those out of conference, like second yeah. half of the year out of conference games we used to play. It, whether like, it was Temple or St. John's or UCLA, whoever, like yeah. we used to have one of those every year. You know, we we, we did. We even did the uh, St. John's, you know, home and home, mm-hmm. you know, design year, but. AC and Jack was obviously not even born at this point. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I want to talk about that game real quick is I remember that game because, AC, you know this, like a couple of years prior to that, we were struggling. Yeah. We were yeah. struggling, and that kind of made, that kind of felt like, okay, we're back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we kind of we took care of business on a team that was, at the time, was gaining some momentum. I remember that UCLA team, it looked like, Oh, they're you know they're back to the the, the well, Bannon brother days. As right, well as was, was Charles O'Bannon on that team? No, 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 Davis, no. Okay, okay, gotcha. Davis was. Uh, okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, BD was that was on that team. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember uh, Jason Williams talking in an interview about watching Baron Davis play that game and 
he always kind of patterned himself after Baron Davis. And I remember, by the way, by the way, impressed with Duke with that. By the way, AC, like if you ever want to like watch YouTube highlights, watch Baron Davis. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, I had crazy highlights. I'll say that. (laughs) Okay, Jack, what do we got next? All right, so let's go. Let's go now. February twenty third. We're going to take it way back to nineteen sixty three. Duke 106, Carolina 93. I like that. It's at Duke Indoor Stadium in Durham. Art Heyman, Mm -hmm. 40 points, Mm -hmm. 24 rebounds. How many? 24. 24. How many? (laughs) Johnny Dawkins, (laughs) 2-4. Jeff Mullins put up 22 and 11 rebounds as well. Jay Buckley had 18 and 11 rebounds. And uh, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are two That's players in which there were more highlights of Jeff Mullins and, and Heyman. Those two together were were outstanding for Duke. And, I have and to you know, agree. again, again, you know, there was Duke before Coach K, and that was th- those guys were one of the reasons why there was basketball before Coach K. Honestly, I will also add Carolina had thirty one from Billy Cunningham and twenty seven from Larry Brown, but both of them fouled out. Larry Brown's a loser. We weren't. <laughs> Larry Brown is in fact a loser. Let it be yeah. known. Okay, so. Last game I'm going to cover here, go back to February 25th, 1990, 32 years ago this week. Number three, Duke. Number 21, Arizona. And this Arizona team, they had Judd Bushler. Pretty, pretty Bushler. team. NBA not, not champion. Not a, name, not a name you hear that often outside of those <laughs> NBA champion. late 90s Bulls teams. <laughs> yeah, Bushler, he had 17 points. He had 10 rebounds. He also had six turnovers. Wait, Steve Kerr was not on that team. Bison Dele was on that team, though. Okay. He was a non-factor that game. Let's go over to the Duke side of things where Allah Abdel Nabi put up. He put up 17 points. Only one like, underrated somehow. player, by the way. Under AC, underrated player, right? Oh, absolutely. And Jack had to make sure he shoehorned in his Sixers announcer. Into this I got segment. so much love for Allah. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew it. Ah, I hit you up. I hit you up, Jack. Robert. Ricky, he had nine points in that game, three mm-hmm. steals. Bobby Hurley had six assists, four steals. But let's get to the big big deal in this game. Phil Henderson. My guy. 28 points. My guy. Incredible player. I got a lot of love for Phil. Phil and my dad actually almost roomed together one year at Duke. Oh, another nice. humble brag. He started off the podcast with <laughs> humble brag, and I was going to another humble brag in. Jack, I don't know, man. I love Phil, man. That's the guy who made me a Duke fan. I love Phil Henderson. Yeah, Phil Henderson was a crazy good player, often forgotten, mm-hmm. does not deserve to be, and 28 points on 12 of 20 shooting. No joke. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So shout out to Phil. Two-point win over the number 21 team in the country. Obviously, that Duke team ended up going to the championship game. No, we'll talk yeah, about we, the uh, we stop right there. <laughs> we'll stop right there. We'll pick and up right here. Right and then beating UNLV the next year. There you go. <laughs> I think what my man is trying to say is that true love is blind. Exactly. Yeah. So a little old school reference there. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll say this that, you know, Bill Henderson, by the way, could throw it down, AC. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, the, the dunk over Alonzo Morning is what made me a Duke fan. My entire family were Georgetown fans, and he just crushed Alonzo. And I was like, oh, that, this I, is what I like from here I, on out. I, I feel like we should probably do like an entire podcast, and we should bring some of our fans on. And mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah, what made you a Duke fan? Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a lot of fun because there's always a moment, you know what I mean? Like there's always yep. a moment. Jack, you know this. 
that okay, that's the moment I became a dupe bag. Like you mm-hmm. kind of knew. But uh we do have a few business items to take care of before we get into that kind of nostalgia. And <laughs> we, have, we have a few games left. Couple. And this dupe team is going to on a three-game road trip. This dupe team has shown that they play very well on the road. And the first one is Jack, a revenge game. 223 at UVA. UVA is 17 and 10. They're 11 to 6 in conference. I've heard so many times about how Tony Bennett is the best coach in the get out of town. <laughs> Jack, I want you to tell me what's going to happen here. Give me your prediction. Revenge game against UVA on 223. I think it's going to be a single digit spread in Duke's favor and I think that anything more than five points is a blowout against UVA so I agree Duke's gonna win by seven or eight and um Tony Bennett's just gonna have to cry himself to sleep because he's not the better coach (laughs) in that matchup he's not the better coach in most matchups he just plays an uncommon defense yep yeah fair Jack but you actually have to give us a score damn I do, don't I? Um, 67 to 58. Wow. Not, you, you, you did say nine. All right. Uh, AC, what do you got? Kind of the same thing. I don't see Paolo only scoring nine points, and I don't see Jaden Gardner getting 17 and getting 19 shots on the interior. I don't see that happening again. So I'll keep it brief. We're going to win this game. I think this goes a long way into showing that this team does have some resiliency heading into the tournament. Give me Duke 70. Give me UVA 60. Yeah, I'm pretty close to UAC, but I'm a little bit closer spread. Uh, I got 69, 65 in favor of Duke. And then we go up to the, uh, the carrier dome, which I, I think that this is a big game because mm-hmm. obviously, as usual, I think AC, we even talked about this, you know, at one point where he's always playing for the tournament. They're right. only 14 and 12 and 8 and 7 in the conference. But that place is going to be rocking. It yeah. is going to be rocking. They're going to, you know, we knew the Rodney Hood, Dunk, and all kind of stuff that wasn't. Uh, I feel like in this game, you, this is going to be the letdown game to me. You're going to okay. beat UVA, and you're going to beat them close in a tight game, but they have to come right back on Saturday, go up to the Carrier Dome, go up to Syracuse, and have to like match the energy that is going to be in that 45,000-seat stadium and and match it and, and, and see what happens. I don't feel great about it, so I'm going to do my prediction first. I think we lose this game, AC. Okay. I think that we lose this game in 84 to 81 type of game. It's funny because now this is, you know, just in talking with people, you know, just other fans and stuff, not anybody in the program, other fans and such, this is the second time now I've heard someone say that they think we're going to lose in Syracuse. And there's a part of me that kind of wants to agree with that statement that it, at the very least that it's a close game. And then there's a part of me that says that we're going to go up there and blow them out of the water again. I, I think Bayheim has given up. I, I, I honestly, I do like, he's watching them. He's like, God, these guys aren't as good as I thought they were. Like it is, I think it hurts his soul on the inside, but they, you know, they're a one-trick pony. They have to hit threes. And we have an elite three-point percentage defense. And I am always going to vote on the side of us being able to force them into bad threes than them just being able to hit every single thing they put up. And that's what it's going to take for them to beat us. 
So give we had a great game plan against his own the first time. Bayheim doesn't change anything. Give me Duke. Give me Duke 75. No. Give me Duke 82, a little higher scoring. 82, give me Syracuse 76. I, I think it can be close. I think it will be close, but I think we win. Yeah. Okay, so this one, I got I got to ask. Can Alex O'Connell come back? Can he transfer <laughs> back for one game? Oh, oh, Jack, we're trying to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> it's just a joke, man. Doug Bushler and Alex O'Connell in the same podcast. We don't need, we don't need AO as much as, as much as, AO in the Carrier Dome is just point, unstoppable. Just we just need him for one game, but not all that. All that being said, we don't need him because Duke has such good shooting from the likes of AJ and Wendell this year, mm-hmm. and, and and your boy Joey Beckles. Yes, got got to shout out my guy Joey Buckets. Uh, just between those three guys, actually speaking, of which Joey Buckets made his Duke debut at the Carrier Dome. Oh, mm-hmm. so. You got you got to think about it this way. Duke shoots threes. Syracuse lost by twenty at Cameron. They'll probably lose by ten at the Carrier Dome. It's going to be the biggest crowd in Carrier Dome history for like the sixth consecutive year. <laughs> true, it's and true. It's not going to matter because most of them won't be able to see what the hell's going on. True, also true. <laughs> and it's okay. going to be Duke eighty-four, Syracuse seventy-two. Wow. Okay, so double digit win for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it with you here, Jack, because I want to talk about Pitt. Oh, gosh. By the way, look, we can talk about Pitt all day long, but Capel did what he needed to do. He took it personally that UNC did not honor Coach K, and he went out there and blasted UNC. Final score was 76 to 67, but, like, they they did not. Like, they just uh, um, obliterated them. So we do go off the pit. How do you see that game playing out? I think... I have a lot of love and respect for Coach Capel. That being said, <laughs> he became the first former player to beat Coach K last year, and I guarantee you the guys that are still on that t- the team are going to want to make that the last time that Coach K ever lost to a former player. Duke's going to win this game. Let's see. 81 to 66. Wow. Uh, I do yeah. not have much confidence in Pitt. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I feel like the, the, the way I look at it to me is, and AC, I'll, I'll let you have the final word here, is this is a really, really, really tough three-game road stretch for Duke because they're going to have three emotional, emotional games, one of which is a revenge. Mm-hmm. The other one is, you know, a 45,000-plus, you know, stadium full of people that are looking to, you know, Send K out on a bad note, and then you go to Pitt, which you would sleep on, but then it's also Cable and Pitt starting to play well. I think we find a way to win this game 76 to 72. Um, AC, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, the zoo, the zoo gets you know, it has it has a reputation, right? at least had a reputation from when they're in the Big East, but it hasn't been the same since they came to the ACC. This Pitt team, Mario said it a couple times now, they do suck, they stink. They play a more traditional style anyway, so we shouldn't be seeing Mark Williams getting a bunch of foul trouble and everything else. Mark's our most important player. That's going to be a, a Mark game all day long. Give me Duke 85. Give me Pitt 60. We, we should we should crush them even if it's on the road. Fair enough. There we go. And then after this podcast, after these three games, 
in is the Coach K last game. Uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium. AC, you'll be there, right? Uh, hey, dog, I'm going to be in the building, baby. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Jack and I were there in the second to last game. Jack and I were there for the Florida State game. The Cameron the Crazy were rocking. It was absolutely pounding. The, the foot, uh, uh, Jack, do you disagree with this? Like, I can feel the seats shaking. I could feel, I could feel everything. It was an incredible environment. I, I can't describe it honestly. And like Jack, the last Jack game I out. went to, last game I went to was I was sitting right behind the student section. This game oh, I was right. sitting behind a basket, and it was way more intense. It was, un- it. it was unbelievable, Jack. You were on the one side, I was behind the, the grass students. It was one of the, and Coach K talked about it. It was one of the classic. Cameron crazy games. There was not a seat to be had. It was a thousand degrees in there. The place was fucking rocking. We were ready to roll. It was all Duke all the time. And we got three road games to go. And now we're going to crush them all. Let's go Duke before UMC. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Point Play Podcast. The number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!